Welcome to the Trash Cats Trash Cast. I'm Richard. I'm Steven. And today we're exploring a feeling of deep anxiety, a sense of separation from yourself and your surroundings. Today we're talking about depersonalization and derealization. This is a strange, strange one. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, it was very enlightening to me. Yeah, because um, you have a, a little, uh, little experience on it, so that'll make it really fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Talk about how fucked up shit was. Yeah. So how was your week? <laughs> um, it's been okay. I, to be honest, the last couple of weeks have been kind of dog shit, and this week things kind of felt more normal. I'm feeling a little bit better little more productive. I'm working on a really fucking cool piece of art that I'm very excited about and just kind of, you know, dealing with the rest of the bullshit and staying giant. Conquering worlds. <laughs> what about um, you, man? My week has been, uh, it's been fine. Uh, yesterday, I decided to make um, some weed-infused honey. Ooh. Uh, that was a fun thing to do. And... Um, it it worked really well, but then I had all the, like I strained the uh, after I you know infused the honey I took the 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 flour and I strained it through a cheesecloth and I was sure there was still some honey in there and I thought oh I should use this and make like tea so I did that um, and all, the the good news is it didn't there is no buzz from it at all I didn't get anything which leads me to believe that I got all of the uh, all of the THC out of it in the honey. So that's really good. Yeah. Um, sure. The, to, to clarify, the, the THC went in the honey and what you filtered yeah. out. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but I also put in, um, so, so I, I add some chai tea and some other stuff and I, I still drank it because um, I thought it would be good. And the next day, um, I said, didn't get a buzz or anything, but the next day I, I uh, sorry to get blue on the on the on the podcast here but i farted and i realized it smelled like fresh really skunky weed oh my god that's hilarious and i didn't think anything of it at first until i was at work later on <laughs> and i farted again and i smelled it and it smelled like like skunky ass fucking weed so i had to look it up and i was like does weed tea make your fart like make your gas smell like weed, and sure enough, it's a it's a thing. If you if you drink tea made with marijuana flour, you will uh, uh, have some gas that smells like some fresh weed. So it might That's get you in trouble if you uh, <laughs> get pulled you know, over and uh, yeah yeah r- rip a big one in front of a cop, and then he thinks he's got some you know you got some shit on you. Oh my god, dude! That reminds me of two two quick asides. Have you ever had? And it didn't. It doesn't always happen with weed for me, but more often, like hitting a big bong or whatever, where you cough up smoke. Way, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But dude, I, way later. Way later. You burp it up later. Yeah, because it's like you you can seal off a little pocket of air in your lungs that keeps the the smoke trapped. If you inhale weird, or you're just using your lungs a lot while smoking or whatever. But dude, I had one time. I was driving. L- I I am not exaggerating at all. It was 35, 45 minutes later. And it was like a full couple mouthfuls of smoke where I was like, Damn. oh shit, maybe I have a collapsed lung. It was like 
so extreme. I, I could not believe the smoke was like continuing to come out of me that much longer. Wow. It was odd. Very, very scary, but fun. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> and, right, and then it's like when you eat beets in the next day, beets. take a shit and it looks like blood. Why would you ever eat a beet? I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> not some farm boy eating beets out of the dirt. Fuck a beet. Boy. <laughs> You eat Lebanese food or, you know, Mediterranean food all the time. I like fried beets, like fries, like veggie fries. Oh, veggies. I've never had fried beets. Like, you don't have to actually fry them, but just like uh, throw them in the oven for a bit with salt, make like little chips out of them. That's pretty dope. I just fuck with pickled beets, man. With a, with an onion uh, dip, zesty sauce to dip the beets. Ooh. Uh, Ooh. Other thing, are you familiar with the Nepalese honey? No. Okay. There's there's a couple documentaries on it, but in Nepal, and I, I don't know what I'm talking about well enough to be super confident, but there's specific tribes where every so often, I believe it's like once a year, they go to these specific honey trees that like grow like, and they're super fucking huge, really tall trees. I believe they're at the top of this Hun- mountain. Wait, wait, wait. Honey trees? Honey trees, yes. <laughs> they're, they're big ass trees that the bees make their hives inside. Okay. okay. Of, right? I was gonna say we're not talking about honey anymore. <laughs> In the specific tribe, they have like um tribesmen that specialize in hunting the honey, harvesting the honey once a year, whatever the fuck it is. And this honey is special because of some eco like ecological or ecological biological thing where like certain plants that the bees ingest cause this specific honey in this location to grow a i don't know if it's a bacteria or fungus but it makes it a psychedelic honey oh shit where like you they you trip for like half a day a day like it's like a for real mushroom level uh, amount of psychedelica in the this honey so that's these pretty fucking dope Naples tribes you know every so often go get their honey for the year and trip out it's so cool now they have a bunch of fucking american kids over there it is doing their doing dope. their spirit mission over to nepal to get the honey that has semi become a thing definitely the whole uh like psychedelic tourism for things like ayahuasca, like it's like ruining a lot of places. Yeah, I can only imagine. <laughs> right. All right. Um, so I know you got some honorable mentions for us. Yes. All right. So I couldn't, I couldn't place my finger on exactly why. Excuse me, but both of these artists came to mind for the topic of depersonalization. Um, th- they're both very weird <laughs> and it, there's there's an emotional quality to both of them that i, I can't mm-hmm. really explain so we're going to start with this first artist swoon hq which is caledonia 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 <laughs> yeah you had it right the first time <laughs> why do i suck with names so much caledonia curry um, this woman does some of the coolest 
shit ever. So it's almost she she works in many formats. I've seen her do uh, stop motion, video, uh, street art, a lot of installation stuff to just traditional fine art, painting and drawing. Most of her pieces involve some form of painting and her work is very gritty, very bold. It, it's childish, but very matured at the same time. She often like will paint across uh, like doors or found objects or on the walls of uh, like brick or just in non-traditional art places where, where it almost feels like whatever the inspiration that hit her, she just did it right there. And she'll like wheat paste pieces on the street doing street art. And then she'll do big planned installation pieces also. And it, she is one of these artists that it is so clearly her work. I, I really enjoy a lot of what she does. It's a very particular aesthetic. Yeah, I, I definitely, you can recognize, you know, all of the pieces on her, on her page are so very different, but like you said, there's a, a certain style, a certain aesthetic that she's, um, that she works with and they're absolutely beautiful. Gorgeous. Just like you said, gritty. Um, I definitely get the kind of a sense of childlike wonder in some of them. Kind of like, uh, it's just more fantastical in a way that sometimes, you know, um, surrealist or like abstract art isn't always but it's more of like um i don't know like a fun way yeah she often includes those abstract elements mixed with the dimension of whatever her piece is a part of or cut out or pasted on i really like the um kind of cross hatchy kind of lines and the um it almost looks like you know like prints and like cutouts from like lithograph kind of things on, on a lot of these, the way the, the just the line quality, and I I really like that look. Yeah, it's almost an industrial, but very um, I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to describe it, but it's one that I recognize as you know it, that's the cross hatching thing, like bold cross hatching um, lines is something I like to do with pen and ink a lot. Yeah, very illustrative figures and and human subjects mixed with those abstract elements and it she even if it's a flat dimension piece she gives everything so much depth i i really like the pieces the installations that involve like the strings or multi layers of of 2d pieces that make this 3d environment yeah and she in the in this, the topics of her work and just what she depicts, she often is portraying a very strong female energy. Or I'm not, I'm not sure how to put it, but she, she, she captures people really well. And yeah, I, I like seeing artists that portray women that confidently in, in a non-sexual way. Not that it isn't sometimes like sexual nature but there's right. so, there's so many talented artists where like their only way of portraying women is like this is a beautiful like naked sexy woman and th right, right, that's right. definitely not her vibe she's going for something much more emotionally complicated yeah 
it's she's just really refreshing it almost feels like like strange found objects that like this child prodigy drew all over with whatever materials they could find and then that piece of art was kept by a parent for 20 years and the the paper slightly molded and then had the second life when it was revealed to the air again it, it i don't know it's the weird found strangeness yeah on on the uh, the the women thing i i in art you see like you said you see a lot of like portraying a you know a, a positive a, a powerful woman that's you know nude or you know like in lingerie or something and it's like mm-hmm. she's empowered and i i i'm you know who are who are we to speak on on something like that but it's um I've heard somewhere before, and I'm trying to think of the source of it, but something like when you portray, you know, in, in figure drawing, when you portray people in the nude, you, you give a sense of vulnerability because you're, you know, in your, your natural, very natural state. When you portray someone like wearing their, their clothes or like, you know, something, something that's more that you, the things that they put on to present to the world, you see the image that they, you capture the image that they want to project kind of thing it's more of like uh what they choose to it's more of their personality more of them yeah as you're saying that i'm immediately like seeing how you can have a naked figure in what would be a sexual pose if they were wearing clothes but because they're they're not it doesn't come off as sexual the same way. It's more about the vulnerability and, and beauty in the figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very complicated thing. It is. It's um, you know, it's but it, it's as simple as um, you know, different using different camera angles and something like that. It just it's your your the perception mm-hmm. of the you know that you that you paint it in or that you put it in. I, no, I I think they do a great job of of with portraits in general. I'm a big fan of you know portraiture and and figure drawing and whatnot. But there's definitely you know energies you capture from some of these. You know, you get the kind of a feel of a vibe of the person, yeah, or at least in the emotion that they were feeling in that moment. And she she captures their energy so well, just yeah. really really well. Um, this second artist, th- this is. This one's oh so her page is on Instagram at swoon hq s w o o n h q. She is awesome. Definitely check her out. Second honorable mention, Michael Garlington. Yeah. So this dude does some cool stuff. Now to preface this, this was I saw this artist work in person maybe four or five years ago, right? Mm-hmm. And it was the... I talked about this artist's work for a long time after because it was the first thing I had seen in person in a long time that I thoroughly enjoyed, right? Yeah. I, I didn't know anything about the person, or the artist, their, their other work, Um but I, I really was impressed by it. These couple pieces just really like captured my imagination. Imagination. I saw them at the Cincinnati Art Museum as part of a uh, Bernie Man psychedelic art tribute exhibit kind of deal. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And this particular piece, one of the pieces was in the, the front lobby of the museum. And you had to you had to actually walk through it. It's the second piece I put aside. Because the piece itself was a like basically a gateway that you had to walk through. It was maybe 25 feet tall, 20 feet tall. And like it, it arch. Yeah, it looks like the the European arches that they have in the capitals and shit like that. And this arch is composed of cardboard. And this picture really doesn't do it justice. You have to see it in person. But the entire archway is composed of these smaller two-dimensional uh, black and white printouts of other art he has done. So from afar, it just looks like this big arch that you have to walk through to get through the museum. But as you get close, it's full of images everywhere, everywhere. Every inch of it you could find and discover, each nook and cranny, each piece of molding. There's something weird and different there. Mm -hmm. And then the arch itself has this, what kind of looks like fire coming off of it but it's really a cloud of animals cut out and made into this like oh that's sick that's really cool yeah it almost has a um uh monty python vibe a little bit you know that style of animation okay yeah 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 like the old like cut out pictures paste like in black and like black and white or dulled colors, it has a little bit of that energy, which doesn't sound cool, but it, <laughs> it is done so well. Now, so it it, it was cool to see, right? Mm-hmm. Now look at the panels of the gateway. See how there's like two, a bottom panel, a top panel on each yeah, side. Yeah. Now every other panel and every like in the archway itself, all throughout the piece but especially in every panel, is a hole. A little peephole for your eye. You And you, it doesn't tell you to look there, right? You just, mm-hmm. through observing it, you might notice a stream of light coming through one of the holes, and you kind of take a closer look. Inside each one of those peepholes of this massive installation is essentially another world. It's a diorama shelved inside of the sculpture oh that's dope so inside this sculpture there's like 20 other sculptures and you have to like walk around it and discover the the little holes into these these other bizarre rooms and realms that's very cool i know i wish i could explain how how cool each one of the the little holes appear in what but they're they were so well done and interesting. It was really just a fascinating thing to explore. Uh, so th- this artist, Michael Garlington, he does uh, a lot of these installations. There's some like church ones. It often involves cutting out previous pieces of his work and like pasting out of these materials, this these bizarre creations. And he does stuff, he does these installations for for museums or even I think he's doing Burning Man this year. He'll be one of the big installations there. He just does some really cool stuff. And it it's cool to see pictures on his Instagram, but in person it is such another level of interactive <laughs> exploration and art. Yeah, very, very fucking cool. I I I like the 
I'm not big into the tarot stuff. I really like the artwork, though, and especially their take on it. They have a very kind of stylized form of like they've taken like kind of photographs and and made remade like these images and they're Mm -hmm. very cool. And some of them are sculptures. And like, I think that's another the the way it's done is it's classic. Yeah, it's almost like um, I don't want to say mocking. It's like giving tribute to, but it's like also obviously having fun with with the design. Yeah, um, both of these artists are playful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it definitely it creates a um, a surrealism, but it's but it's fam- it's familiar because of the you yeah. know the imagery in it. It's very cool. They they really both have that nostalgia too. Like they, it doesn't look like fresh, crispy new art. It feels like it's been there waiting for you to find it. The the devil card is very good. It's very fun. <laughs> These artists, their work is just waiting for you to discover. So check them both out. Uh, Michael Garlington can be found on Instagram at MichaelGarlington1. Hell yeah. We'll post links and all that stuff. I I know we spent more time on these artists than uh, we planned, but they're both so cool. Definitely. Yeah, they're very cool artists. Yeah. Yeah. So So, depersonalization and derealization. These are ones that, um, if you've been listening to to our show for a while, uh, you might remember the Truman Show episode uh, where I talked about some of the kind of goofy um, experiences I had after I moved up here, and it was like a weird kind of anxiety ridden. Kind of felt like the world was out to get me. Um, kind of felt like crazy. some simulation theory shit. Like it's just kind of weird shit going on in my head. A few months ago, I found. I've read these words for the first time and I looked them up and it described perfectly um, what I had been feeling. And so I, I wanted to did, focus how, on it a little more. How did that feel when you found out it was a real thing? Um, to see to see it put into words was – it was uplifting. It was like, you know, okay, cool. I'm not going crazy, you know, to understand what's going on. Was it surreal or or more affirming? It's affirming. Gotcha. Very affirming. To clarify to someone potentially new, because after all, we did just make it on the top 100 chart of good pods. We are ranked 69. Hell yeah. Fucking nice, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking so nice. So funny. But uh, and, and thank you, Matt, by the way. Shouts out to Matt. Yeah. Shouts out to Matt in the studio, in the studio with Matt. Yep. But you um, went through this experience. How long ago was it? Um, boy, it was Two almost years. almost seven years ago. Oh, six God. years ago. Yeah, I don't know. Why did I say that? Yeah. So hang you- on, hang on, just a second. Boop. God damn it! I didn't sneeze. <laughs> I thought I was going to sneeze. <laughs> so you did go through this. Um, how would you clarify it? Or uh, uh, so so in in a experience? short. Yeah, it was. In short, it was um, – I felt like everything was going really well in my life. Like I just moved up to Michigan. I got a the job. I got the apartment that I wanted right off the bat. I got – you know, and it was like a, oh, you might have to wait like a month and a half. And then they called me the next day like, hey, actually someone's moving out next week. And I was like, all right, bet. And then um, I got – the, the first job that I applied to, I got and it was a really good position. 
Um, and then the, um, like I met someone who I fell in love with and, and started a relationship with like within the first like month. And then it was like, everything's going really well. Um, so it was a lot of it started with like waiting for the other shoe to drop. And then there was like a lot of weird feelings of like everything, um, I don't know. Like it, it felt like I was in Truman Show kind of thing. Was the was what I related it to? Because um, it felt like one of those things. Where, like every everyone's in on the joke that like, hey, look at him. Like let's let's give him all these things, and then like you you know see how he reacts when we take it all away. Yeah, kind of thing. And it was like I couldn't place my finger on anything in, in particular that made it feel that way. There was just thoughts that were going through my head, like. Like that happened for a reason. That happened for a reason, or someone planned for that to happen. There, this isn't what it seems to be. Something else, right? Is yeah, going and then, and, but you know, the entire time I'm also I'm realizing like this is nuts. Like this is crazy. It's, it's completely illogical. None of it makes sense. So I it was like constantly questioning myself, but I was still having these thoughts, and it was really you know concerning for a little while. Um, not enough that I sought out like help or anything um because that would require me to talk to professionals and <laughs> and we just don't do that <laughs> speak for yourself i talk yeah, to I, too I like, many of these fuckers i was gonna say go to go to therapy it's they, they won't you. they won't leave me alone <laughs> <laughs> they keep saying come back or we'll tell on you yeah come back or you're going to jail <laughs> so, <A little> snitch <laughs> so and I know we're going to talk because they're, you know, that kind of made it sound like it was all positive, but with this paranoia. But there's, yeah, there's so like other element. Do you want to go into it now or do we want to break, like, break I, yeah. off more of what it is? Yeah. Um, well, we, we can talk, we can get into the, uh, the definitions here. Okay. Um, I, I do want to say that, like, it, everything was going really well in, in the outside of my world, but it was just all in my head. And looking back, I see – I mean, like, I could see that then, too. But, like, looking back, like, that's the number one thing I take away from it that I recognize was it was all just dumb shit I kept telling myself in my head. Um, and, that, and that's that was a huge factor when, when I was reading about this and I was like, that's what it is. And that's what kind of locked in on it. Just curious. Did, did it feel um, – did you feel anxious at the time or did you know you were feeling any of that? Um. It would come in waves. It would come and go. And that's the other thing is like it wasn't constantly. It was just like kind of flash moments, you know, throughout the day. Yeah. That it would that would become worse. Um, And then thinking about it did make it worse. But, you know, that's just how it goes. Yeah. So depersonalization and derealization are specific symptoms of anxiety. Depersonalization can consist of a detachment within the self regarding one's mind or body or being detached observer of oneself. Subjects feel they have changed in that the world has become vague, dreamlike, less real, lacking in significance or being outside reality while looking in. It can be described as feeling like one is on autopilot and that one's sense of individuality or selfhood has been hindered or suppressed. It's estimated that 75% of all people may have this connection from reality once in their lifetime. I will point out, for me, 
like we'll, we'll talk later about the involvement of how drugs can relate to this, but specifically if anyone else has the experience as a uh, a benzo addict, to me this sounds just like a a moderate dose of benzos where you're on autopilot, you're almost you're sl- you're not out of body, but you're in the back lobe of your brain just kind of watching yourself function and you feel separated from the world now i know that doesn't include like the anxiety and the those other parts of it but that kind of displacement is that's like my closest relation to a specific feeling Mm -hmm. Uh, remind me benzos is like uh xanax and shit xanax yeah yeah clodipin valium all, all the fun ones that make you forget the pain you're suffering in <laughs> cool and fun yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so depersonalization usually coincides a lot with uh derealization they are separate um on, on a couple terms but usually people that are going through depersonalization or feeling that have symptoms of derealization also or you know vice versa um so to be clear the disorder is it, it's for short ddd yeah, we haven't gotten to that yet. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, so derealization is a mental state where you feel detached from your surroundings. People and objects around you may seem unreal, and you may even feel as if there's a wall or a barrier between yourself and the world around you. Even so, you're aware that this altered state isn't normal. Um, so it's it's like being... Like there's a a lot of times people like do describe it that way where they feel like there's like a a wall around them and they're lo- they're watching life unfold around them and everything just seems like a dream or it seems you know like it's not actually like it's happening but it's not real or it's you can, yeah it's it's just it's just really goofy like the Truman Show thing I would point more to some of that was derealization feelings where it was like I just felt. Like everything around me is is false, mm. in a way. It's almost like breaking the, the fourth wall in your consciousness. Like in a, yeah. in a show or whatever, the character looks at the camera, breaks the fourth wall. It kind of sounds like there's a mental breaking of that fourth wall where you're like, why are all these walls here? Like, what was I doing here? When the When the one wall is broken, you can see the rest of the strange room you realize you're in. Yeah, you look God in the eyes and look look for an answer. <laughs> right. So these symptoms last until the stressor or trauma is away or not actively affecting you. It usually fades away naturally. Sometimes when it happens with less obvious causes, like panic attacks or a bad drug experience, your brain doesn't recognize what led to the feeling, and that causes more fear and stress, which can create a cycle that makes it last longer than normal. When you have repeated instances and reoccurring experiences of these symptoms over an extended period of time, you may be diagnosed with depersonalization, derealization disorder. And, and to be clear, it really is a, in the DSM-5, doctors yeah, can yeah. diagnose you. This is a, a real disorder that, like you said earlier, maybe 75% of people experience some element of this feeling at some point in their life right but the combination of both depersonalization 
and derealization often and regularly yeah, yeah, yeah. can become this disorder, DDD. Yeah. Depersonalization derealization disorder, also known as DDD, is characterized in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual DSM-5 as a persistent or recurrent depersonalization. Re- God, that's a hell of a sentence, though, man. Yeah, I'm going to take that one from the top. <laughs> so, depersonalization derealization disorder, also known as DDD, is characterized in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual DSM-5 as persistent or recurrent depersonalization symptoms in the presence of intact reality testing and isn't better described by other psychiatric or medical disorders. So the key part of that is the intact reality testing. So yeah. what that means is you can you know the difference between what's your thoughts and reality. You recognize that like you're thinking these things but it's not real. It's like you're still having these thoughts and these feelings but you can still recognize that it's different from reality. Yeah. And that I struggled to understand that at first. There's um, a similarity with certain subsects of OCD where some people with certain forms of OCD will believe they have these other conditions and they're constantly questioning if they have them where, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. where you're aware that you are or you aren't. And I I didn't realize that, what was it called? Presence of intact reality testing. Yeah. Like you said, that's so crucial because I initially thought like this DDD is like a part of a a delusional thinking or paranoia, like in a bipolar or like Mm -hmm. a, a psychosis symptom of another disorder. Right. But it when you have all of the things aligned right and you're constantly questioning if it's real or not it's more likely to be its own thing yeah and and really that's the main separate divider between you know that and between you know uh, depersonalization derealization and um things like schizophrenia you know is because you there's more other, other yeah, factors but i on that yeah yeah, yeah sure. you know yeah. that's one for sure that like it's that reality testing thing is a much harder thing to to come across when you're dealing with things that can lead to psychosis and whatnot right that's so so, that's such a weird dividing line like very few mental illnesses or conditions are have that dividing line on you being cognizant of what you're experiencing yeah that's it's odd yeah but the fact that there's enough information that they've been able to pick that a part where it's like there's enough instances of this, yeah, this symptom, but people are aware that it's a, it's a, a, you know, not real, or they feel like they are aware of, you know, how how crazy it is. Like that's that's also really interesting to me that so many people do experience this. Definitely, and I'd never heard anybody else ever talk about it. I haven't either. I I had been aware of. <sighs> Both of the conditions on their own, or both of the words on their own, depersonalization, derealization, but I had never heard it together as this unique disorder. Um, an estimated 1-2% to of the population is affected by DDD. It involves a constant feeling of being disconnected from one's body, like an outside observer of their life, and sometimes a feeling of being separated from one's surroundings. DDD is thought to be connected to stress and trauma. 
Symptoms of DDD can be triggered by severe stress, which includes failed relationships, financial problems, work-related issues, uh, emotional abuse as a child, neglect, physical abuse, witnessing domestic violence, or the unexpected death of a loved one. It can also uh, be related to depression, anxiety, substance use. Uh, the symptoms are very stressful and make it difficult for the person to function well in home, work, school. Um, they can also feel emotionally and physically numb. I definitely felt a lot of that. Excuse me, not a lot of the physical numbness, but the emotional numbness of like, usually it was when I was alone and it would just kind of, I don't know, Every it just felt separated from from everything. And from at first I I thought that was just because like I was on my own really for the first time. Like I lived alone kind of when I was in Toronto, but I had like five roommates. Yeah. So I wasn't like alone alone. I definitely get a lot of the derealization part or, or the numbness from my depression and drug, like past drug use stuff. I definitely know. I, I feel like I can definitely relate to the feeling and i've definitely been in very disassociated states but i can't quite understand the uh, the element of delusion and questioning uh, of what what your role in it is Mm -hmm. the intact part Uh, and the part you just read about it being related to stressors and stress and trauma yeah that i've definitely see it almost feels like there's a, a tiny bit of an overlap with PTSD. Yeah. Um, some of the research I was looking up, um, definitely they separated from PTSD. Um, and I, I didn't look at the specific factors on that, but they, they classify it differently. Definitely. Like PTSD symptoms are different than, um, depersonalization or maybe it's like you might experience depersonalization with PTSD but it itself it in itself does not you know uh, um, cannot be ruled as right. part of PTSD alone I just alone. I, I I guess I should I should have said more I see the similarities but I also could see how like let's say uh one of us goes through a super like violent tragic event right yeah now let's say that event would be so impactful that it is likely to cause mental problems down the line like it's just obvious if somebody goes through something that fucked up there are going to be lifelong repercussions right right so let's say that's the given i could see how from person to person and based on your brain all, all the all the factors right nature, nurture, whatever, I could see how for maybe in a situation like that, there's like the trauma has happened and there will be an equal and opposite reaction to your mental state. And maybe sometimes it could develop as PTSD and at other times, maybe it develops as DDD. That's all just me kind of playing with it. But I see how, you know, a person's reaction to those stressors or trauma could, you know, can kind of change change which <laughs> diagnosis or experience you end up going through. Yeah, ah. and I, there there might be a um, a thing about 
the because I know PTSD is one of those things like you kind of carry it for the rest of your life kind of thing. Not always, but typically when PTSD is talked about, it I feel like most of the time people are talking about like chronic lifelong PTSD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the the at least the depersonalization, derealization stuff like that can go away very quickly. That can be gone, That's you know, so within a few hours or like by the end of the day, kind of thing. Usually, I assume. Um, you know, as you know, they're only diagnosing you with the disorder if it's prolonged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So while people with DDD feel detached from their body and report emotional or physical numbing, actual subjective body perception is unaffected, and their heartbeat is like normal, healthy people. That's interesting. Yeah, I left that in there because I thought I didn't. I never would have thought to look up something like that, but because it's like an anxiety thing. Yeah. That you know, that could be, you know, See, concerning to someone that has, you know, heart problems and, you know, is experiencing this. Well, I take it to mean more, I, I see your point, but more that opposed to like an acute stress reaction or a panic attack, it's not like your body is going through that parasympathetic yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, cycle or reaction where your brain's firing, fight fight or flight yeah you're, you're in constant fight mode right and your heart's amped up it's more th- your body is, stays the same and your mind is dissociating or deeper yeah there is a part of that that we'll get into the details of in a bit but it's more of uh instead of fight or flight it just goes into like super defense mode like puts up all the that's what you know the 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 feeling of the bubble around you like it literally you, you're putting up barriers to like withdraw and figure out what the problem is. Straight um, bubble boy. Yeah, Would, bubble, bubble boy. <laughs> I feel like that's comparable to the third option of freeze. Yeah. In a way. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay, interesting. Um, so anxiety and depression are common um, to go alongside with the disorder as well. Uh, however, a study found that depression and anxiety did not alter the associations of depersonalization with intra-receptive accuracy. So even with the depression and anxiety symptoms that you're having aside from the depersonalization, you still have the you know intact reality testing. Um, Unlike psychotic disorders, people with depersonalization, depersonalization disorder are aware that what they feel is not real and found that patients with DDD do not display major impairments in selective attention, cognitive inhibition, and working memory. However, slight neurophysical deficits were revealed and confirmed in terms of distractibility, short-term memory uh, reduction, and the inability to suppress stress-related arousal states under cognitive task demand. Now, that that part reminds me of depression. Yeah. Stuff where, like, you still might be able to function mostly normal, but you there is that lack of... Or just a slight cognitive impairment, like yeah, everything's everything's so running on low efficiency mode. To try to, it's like uh, your heart bringing a you know hypothermia, keeping the blood to the center of the body to yeah protect yeah. your vital vital brain parts. <laughs> <laughs> your brain parts. All the brain parts got to keep the blood in the brain parts to to stay warm. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to. We're gonna talk about some of the. Um, 
the main symptoms of depersonalization and derealization. Um, I got a lot of this information from uh, Sean O'Connor. He has a book, uh, The Depersonalization Manual. He lived with depersonalization symptoms for about two years. And he recovered thanks to a lot of therapy and um, is trying to share his experience and try to help people uh, work their way through it. Because it is a very scary thing when you're going through it. It feels like the whole thing of it because it's it's cyclical when you're – you know, I, I had it for a few months. So it wasn't nearly as bad as you know a couple of years. Um, but it also it lasted longer than it typically does. So real, real quick before yeah. before you go into the symptoms, can I interject a couple of things, please? So I I do want to point out I I've, we probably should have said it, but this is both like we we research this because we're we're interested in it. It's so fascinating the way the the human mind can find ways to protect itself. Yeah, and we wanted to research it because we find it interesting and because of. Uh, your your experience with it, yeah, and that's something. But we definitely don't know exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't diagnose yourself based on this. No, and go, that's go see a doctor. That said, I will say I did personally find uh, Sean O'Connor a little sus. I, I will. I'm not crazy about him, but because we're largely talking about what the experience is like for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, everything he described, people really liked what he does because he he understands it very well. Yeah. And his so, experience on it was valuable information too. And I, I will also say my experience with him didn't go beyond watching a YouTube video. Sure. And I just, I recognized what he was talking about as, um, you know, uh, uh, all the things that he mentioned through the video, I, I recognized that. Well, as symptoms that I felt. Well, to that point, though, this is this isn't like new. It's been around. Yeah, absolutely. But there isn't a ton of. From what I understand, there was research on it. It is an official diagnosis. It is recognized by uh, the medical world, uh, the world of psychology, psychi- psychiatry. But it doesn't seem um, widely spoken about or explored extensively yeah when somebody goes through something like this there isn't a ton of information as easily available so they you know you're more likely to go to people making videos online about their own personal experiences right which is Um, a good and bad thing i think yeah 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 first one is so the uh, the first one i have on here is feeling cut off from reality Feeling like you're living in a dream or the people and things around you aren't real. This is apparently – this is actually a natural reaction to trauma and grief. Uh, Depersonalization is actually your brain's way of protecting you from said trauma. Like I said, it's building up these walls to separate you from society. When when you go through the the cyclical feeling of like when your brain doesn't know what the stressor is, it's – just kind of sits there on, you know, defense mode, trying to find what it is and break it apart. And it's hmm. working so hard and it's in stress while it's doing it. Um, so it keeps pointing out things that might be the issue or might be the problem. And But part of that is when you withdraw in your brain, it's – there's like a – it feels like a physical divide yeah, from that, reality. That's classic uh, n- neo – 
waking up realizing he's in the matrix or yeah exactly in the truman show that disconnect of like this something else is going on here this isn't right the reality i thought it was disconnect uh feeling like you're not real this to me is a a scarier one there's other psychological conditions where uh, that have that same depersonalization where you, you don't feel like you're a live person anymore. That that kind of emotional feeling is that's very scary to me. So with this, it's it's more like feeling like a robot or that your your emotions or or emo- emotions aren't your own. Like you're watching someone else control your body or voice. I know I've felt that with various things. And often with depression, where I feel like I'm watching a movie of my life, yeah, like I, yeah. I know I'm making the choices, but it doesn't really feel like I'm all the way present. Um, again, it's part of a natural defense mechanism. Uh, the separation you feel is like a shield from from trauma or stressors. Yeah. So you 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 have? Um, did you feel like um like a ghost? Like you ever thought to yours like? Yes. I yeah, I definitely like when I was a kid for sure there's definitely little feelings like that. But like felt like am I is this even real? Am I co- corporeal right now? You know, like been sitting alone somewhere and like you know, it's like um almost like if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there to hear it, it doesn't make a sound. See like if I- no one's acknowledging, you know, if you're alone by yourself and no one knows you're there, no one acknowledges you. Are you really there? Are you really real? To, so I get the ghost, the ghost gushes, the, the ghost vibes. <laughs> you can't say that on a, on on recording. <laughs> the ghost gushes. I get the ghost gushes a lot, dude. Like I I really like my memory of childhood, even before drugs, is very blurry, very very sketchy because I I really did feel like a sad ghost boy. Just floating around, class to class, drifting away on the playground. Like, I, <laughs> I with depression stuff, I really do understand that feeling of like I'm here, but I am so far gone, really separated from what's going on around me. The mm-hmm. part that is much more foreign to me is the feeling like it isn't real or that maybe it is this way that intact reality part is is very different but i definitely get the ghost vibes a lot so when you were a little you were a sad ghost boy yes. when i was a little on the playground when i was little when i was on the playground i was uh i wanted to be like goku now i did <laughs> do a lot of running around like pretending i was a dinosaur too that's fair i got in trouble for biting a couple girls <laughs> That's fucking rules. <laughs> I was a velociraptor and I could run so fast, faster than Sonic the Hedgehog. Just an absolute menace. Just <laughs> a sad dinosaur biting women. <laughs> there were so many red flags. So many red flags. <laughs> oh, God damn it. Um, the next symptom I have here is a, a fear of going insane. Yeah, I do not understand this one. This is so, a weird one for me. Yeah, so so this is a thing like, you know, like they say, like if you're if you're going crazy, you wouldn't know better. You yeah, you yeah. wouldn't realize it. You would just the world kind of seems gets crazier around you. Yeah, people say that one a lot. That makes this worse um, because okay. 
So, because especially when you feel like, you know, positive feedback loop. Yeah. When you can, when you feel like you can accurately, you know, recognize that this isn't real, this is crazy, you know, then you think like, am I going crazy? Is this how it starts? Uh, So being worried that the symptoms get worse and cause schizophrenia or severe mental damage um, is is a part of depersonalization, derealization, that, that, you know, really intense struggle against it. Um, However, with depersonalization, your reality testing remains intact. So no matter how bad your symptoms get, you always know the difference between your thoughts and reality. It really, it's, it's like the example that uh, Sean O'Connor gave in the video was it's like worrying that your smoke detector is going to burn down your house. It's only there to okay. try to try to protect you. Okay. See, wh- what I don't relate to that part of it, the fear of going insane is – I mean, I've been in a fair amount of legitimate psychotic states mm-hmm. and there's times like I've, I could tell I was spiraling into that psychotic state um, but my like brand of weirdness or craziness, whatever it was, I was fueled by it. For me, it, it was exciting and I could like embrace going mm. Joker mode and fucking myself up more. It was like, I'm going crazy. Like, let's add some uppers, no sleep and get really sick from not eating and get really wild. Like, so you were, you were already though, you weren't in your right mind. Yeah going about that yeah so the the difference is you are in your right mind other than these symptoms so Mm. when you when you feel that and you start to get scared of it like what the fuck is that it fuels it and makes it worse because you get more anxiety from getting worried about it yeah Um, i i get what you're saying i i haven't had that that personal experience with that to me that sounds concerning like i get that oh kind yeah of, that, that was the absolute worst part of it I've, in my okay. opinion yeah yeah the, i get the, that with with physical health stuff you know when you you think you're getting sick or like yeah, yeah you have yeah. a lump in your arm or some weird shit and you're like oh my god what is that you always jump to the worst it's almost like the same thing but for your mind you're like yeah. what what is going on why do i feel this way and it feeds into it that's yeah. That would yeah, freak me out, man. I definitely experienced that a lot. Um, and and still, you know, you being able to like check yourself and recognize that it's in your head, but but then it would keep coming back and like different little things would pop up, different little, you know, thoughts would pop up and you're like, that's fucked. It's, it's, I, know it, I, re- I know it's not real, but can it I, just made you think that it was getting worse. Can I ask you a couple questions? Sure. So this was like seven years ago, your, your Truman show experience, right? Yeah. Now, I, I will, I'll, I'll say that I knew at the time I probably wasn't very helpful because I was a mess and you were mm, yeah. out of town. I am a little curious why, or even if you have a, an occasional nagging feeling of it, why would you question your sanity? And I ask that because you are uh, outwardly or even inwardly 99% of the time, you're such a like strong, self-assured, uh, like laid back but confident with your yourself and your mind type of person. To me, it's it seems a little odd that you could have a legitimate worry for your sanity because you you seem so sharp. You know. Well, it was because of all of the thoughts of that that were illogical. All of the 
the thinking that like everyone's watching you kind of thing or thinking that like, um, you know, everything is being done to manipulate you in some way. Like just everything doesn't, it's not really, it's not real. It's like a stage kind of thing. And everyone's just okay. actors on the stage that you're a part of. And like all of these thoughts that keep coming in and you have to keep reminding yourself that's, that's crazy. It's not logical, but every time you do that and then you still continue to have the thoughts, that sure. was the part that was like, am I starting to lose it? If I start to buy it, am I eventually going to start to believe this shit and buy into it? Now, let, let me ask my follow-up. And it was interesting how you answered part of that because my next question was going to be, where do you feel like, excuse me, those thoughts or questions are coming from? And I, I want to preface it by saying, in the, I know at different points we've talked about how random thoughts that pop in a person's head or obsessive thoughts or things that that type of thinking that is traditionally thought of as like out of your control or like you're not responsible for your thoughts but that you are for your actions i know we've talked a bit about that and i i do think there is like an onus on a person that those thought to claim responsibility for thoughts even yeah if yeah even if they're not the thoughts like we didn't like craft the thought but they were our thoughts and I believe you you answered the the first question by saying it felt like those thoughts were coming in towards you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So is part do you feel like that is related to anxiety that those thoughts are are flooding in where it feels more like from an outside source than the internal thought? Um yeah, I think I think there's definitely a lot of that. I can definitely say if there's like a source to why those I had those specific thoughts um i think that the reason why i was like concerned that like everything's a stage and you know people are like manipulating things around me for me kind of thing like i think the reason that i had those specific kind of delusions was um because everything was going really well suddenly like after a uh, um a particular couple years of kind of hardship um it things were suddenly going very, very well, very, very quickly. Um, and I was waiting for the other shoe to drop, like waiting for someone to pull back the rug and say, ha ha, fucking stupid. Like, I can't believe you thought this was real right. kind of thing. Like, you don't deserve to have it yeah. like this. It's supposed to be fucked up because that's how it was. So, yeah, that's, so that's, that's what part of it was. And the other one was even after – learning about this realizing like where it where it stemmed from because that was the thing i had to think about like well what would have stemmed yeah. that because i moved up here and everything was going really well but um it was the the year prior uh before i moved up here um okay. it was less than a year before um my grandparents died and it was really um sudden very traumatic um is a, a murder suicide and there was it was so sudden and and abrupt that like it really kind of brought our family to like kind of a crashing halt. Um, and there, I'm sure there's still grief that I haven't. I know there's definitely still grief I haven't like gone through yet. Sure. For that, um, but it was the I can definitely link it to a, you know probably that 
you know, very specific situation is probably what, you know, brought this on. That mixed with the the stress of coming to a new place and being on my own for the first time probably also, you know, brought that back in. But that was without a doubt this one of the, the most single um stressing and anxiety inducing um moments in my life. Um can you I, know, for, for years. Can I follow that up? Yeah, yeah. So like I know privately we've talked about this, but I, I even on the podcast, you you've uh, you might not talk about that element of of their lives, but you you often talk about them. And I know you were very close with them, and that was like I, I mean it's just so wild. But yeah, how long? So you go through this trauma, right? Yeah, and, and it affects you your family, and that's one of those things you never can prepare for. Right. So how long after, like, I believe you said it was like a year after, was it this delayed reaction to that? Like you're... I think, yeah, I I think so. And I think it was, you know, like I said, it's a combination of a bunch of things kind of coming at me because I definitely hadn't processed it by that time. Um, I spent the entire next year... Like I just rode my bike constantly and I, you know, kind of went out a lot and I drank a lot and I tried to like deal with it in my own way while trying to escape other shit. And then I finding, I think once I got up here and like I said, everything was going so well when I got up here and I don't know if it was, um, I don't know if it was a, a feeling of the the stress that brought that on or just my own internal fear of, you know, something, you know, something's got to go wrong because it's, it's, everything's going well. Um, it's going too well. And so it, it, you know, it could very well be very well have been my own internal kind of subconscious thoughts that were pulling back into that. Now, uh, let me, let me ask you this and tell me, if if you felt this at all, or if this is totally off base, right? So a- after after that happens, the next year, like you said, you were highly engaged in escapism, and it was really shitty, right? Yeah, and, like just a shitty time. And then you have this big life change, right? You're moving to a new city. Mo- you know, most of the people in your life aren't going to be coming with you. You're you're kind of on your own, new right. place, massive life change. For myself, when I go through, or when I have gone through really shitty trauma things, it's like it it might ruin or like just completely like dominate a year or years of your life, right? Mm-hmm. But you can't feel that intense level of trauma or like a sadness, all the, the negative feelings a hundred percent of the time. Right. 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 Like you can be super depressed and still watch a dumbass show with a friend and laugh, you know? Yeah, exactly. But feel terrible still. Yeah. Right. Is part like for me, sometimes if, if some, especially the death of a loved one, there's 
for myself, there almost comes a certain feeling of guilt when I mm-hmm. forget about them for a second right. or, and feel happy or laugh. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel like there might be any connection of like the, and it, I know it's a bit extreme, but like the level of dissociation between like this terrible event, a terrible time in my life, and then brand new life farther removed from it yeah there's there is definitely that because i definitely remember um feeling like i'm running away from it Mm. and moving up here there is definitely that thought of like and and part of it like i definitely i I was in a way because i just realized i need a change i need something to change i had you know i had shit going for me down there it's not like i couldn't have yeah yeah. you know stayed down there or whatever but it's just i needed a a change of pace you know and um and I had been thinking about it prior, but it was it was that really that lit the fire under my ass. Like I need to not be here. When you look back on it, do you like you just said it felt like an element of of running away? When you like reflect on it, do you feel like you actually were running away? Um, no. I I no. I think in majority it's. It was definitely a um, a move that I, like I said, I'd recognized before you know any of this happened that there wasn't really room for significant growth for me there, unless I wanted to go work at like a a resort or something and like do some crazy hours doing you know dumb shit. I could make a lot of money and do a lot of cool shit, but I just I didn't want to live in Tampa. I don't want to live in Orlando. Yeah, you kind of thing, you know, that would have sucked. Of, yeah. Of your own. So if I'm going to move anywhere, I wanted to I wanted to move somewhere else and there was also, you know, that because of the the loss it made me realize, you know, there's a limited time to spend with, you know, family that I love. So at the time it was either uh Denver or Detroit and um Denver kind of fell out as an option. Um so I moved to Detroit uh because my cousin lives up here. So it was like to spend time, spend more time with him, you know, who I've always looked up to a lot. So, um, you know, to, to try to rekindle that, you know, relate that friendship, that relationship, not that it ever really went away, but you know, yeah. he started a family. Yeah. He's got to do his own thing. Definitely. So to like, to be able to spend more time with him now has been, was, was the goal. I, when, when really hard things happen, I've noticed a tendency for myself, and it's often shown in like movies or like just strong male characters, right? There's mm-hmm. this tendency to like they go through a trauma and then to overcome it. It's rarely framed as running away. Instead, it's often they have to go to a place to mourn. Right, like you, yeah, yeah. You have yeah. to go away and deal with it for a while, and and come back. And I think sometimes it it, it actually is running away. And I think oftentimes you go through something like that, and even if you're not going away to mourn, it's like a lot of times the people you talk to a lot or your friends, like a distance grows, right? Yeah. And sometimes yeah. it needs to be that way to to have that opportunity to to look to look inward and heal what you need to heal, you know, stitch up those wounds before you can go back out, you know, because you know other people are going to see you all cut up still. You're not going to be 100% when you come back from your, you know. Yeah, 
And I mean, part of that also, like my entire plan when I first moved up here was like, I'm just going to grind. I'm not going to, I didn't give a fuck about meeting new people, you know, especially because part of it was like, I moved up here to spend time with my cousin. So like, I got him up here. I don't fucking need anybody else. I was going to, you know, work my fingers down and and fucking just go um, make some money up and try to get my shit together that way. And that, like I said, that was my initial goal. It didn't work out that way at all. I mean, I definitely did work a lot, but I met people and like almost immediately it was, it, it's cool. It's definitely great. It turned out for the better, but my goal was definitely to come up here and, and either not think about it or not think about it as much so quickly. I think that, you know, going away, separating yourself physically from the environment, you know, as a way to process it. Um, whether it's just, you know, processing that the way that you're handling it and then, you know, processing the information as a whole, like there is a, a lot of the time where it just, it just didn't feel real. And then probably for a good year and a half or so after you know, it happened, it was like, it just didn't feel real. Still yeah. trying to like make that come to grips with that. And I know when we were writing this episode, it, it kind of came into the play, like, you know, we can talk about this disorder and, you know, I've heard. Like we've talked extensively about what this experience for you personally was like, but when it's put in the context of the disorder itself, how it typically manifests, and then that that juxtaposition between uh, life going pretty good and then something tragic happens and then moving away, new life, that juxtaposition, that I, I see how that could be very disorient yeah i i didn't really think of it that way you know the like when you said the um the kind of guilt you guilt. feel yeah, yeah that, I, I never really thought about it that way but you, you're almost 100 percent right like i definitely feel like that could be a thing dude because I, I definitely felt that a lot when i moved up for me that is and also like guilt of like i'm moving up here to get away from it but also i'm leaving my parents behind and yeah. now they have to deal with it down here on their own yeah. That was another part of it. Man. Not that I didn't think they were capable, but, you know, it still sucks. Yeah, dude. I, I think the guilt is – guilt and shame are two of the strongest fucking emotions ever. But shame yeah. is a huge thing that gets talked about in addiction stuff that I think people overlook. But the guilt, for me, that was one of the hardest – like feelings to have to deal with was when someone dies and especially that first time. And for me, you know, my best friend, my brother committing suicide, that, that feeling of forgetting just day by day, a a little, an inch of skin at a time, forgetting what their face looks like. Right. Yeah. That not being able to picture them quite the same or remember the sound of their voice. That guilt, to me was like the hardest bridge to cross like that guilt can change everything so um, altering the the remembering their face is a big one remembering their voice was another one after um after it happened it was maybe maybe three weeks to a month later we were in their house and we were like going through their stuff and we checked their answering machine. They had a landline with an answering machine. 
and we hit the button on it and heard my grandpa's voice for the first time in three weeks, you know? And that was a really like, you know, like you had to catch your breath kind of thing because it was like, it it realized like I haven't heard him. I never thought I'd hear his voice again. And then hearing that was a, was a, a big thing. And I remember, I remember when I started to forget his face very specifically because I thought that with other relative deaths that like I don't forget the I don't remember their face as much. Um and partially part of that was like going to like, you know, this the funeral kind of thing, which is why I don't like to do that anymore. Um but they, they had a you know, they didn't have a funeral for them. We had a we did a cremation thing. So I remember it was maybe about a year or so later and I was like constantly focused on not constantly, but like every day or so I would think about them and and think about, you know, their faces. And, you know, I remember like this, the feature started to go not to come as quickly. And I was like, Oh shit, it's starting. And I would still try to remember. And of course I have pictures and stuff, but it's not having that mental image is important too. So important. Yeah. Now can I, can I pull at two more little strings? Yeah, man. Okay. So if, if you could talk to yourself during that period, I know I asked you previously, did it feel like you were altered, like in a different state of mind? And you, you mentioned slightly, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it felt like, I don't know, it, it felt like I was definitely still me. There was a general sense of like a low grade anxiety that I, like my body, I didn't even recognize at the time. As being that, it was more of what I recognized was these kind of intrusive thoughts and and these these feelings that would just kind of come up out of nowhere, and then I had to like react to it, um, which took a lot of energy. I would imagine that makes you come off, uh, either just like tired slightly dazed or just a little edgy yeah like if you uh, i'm sure yeah if you've been around someone um outside of an immediate circle that had just gone through a trauma and they're in that trauma reaction state kind of thing and they're just kind of off um yeah, yeah yeah somewhat yeah like do you think was it disorienting enough let me put it this way, that it, let's say I hadn't seen you in a month, but we were still talking, but I didn't know what had been going on and I just showed up randomly. Do you think I would sense like that you, you were not in your normal mind? No, no. You think you you could? Yeah, I, I definitely, I'm positive I didn't show signs of it. That's interesting. It's that, for you, or this this experience at least was that internalized? Yes. Okay. All right. Last big question, whatever you want to go with, but yeah. if you could go back to that time, not not necessarily just about the the things that happened, but what what would your what would you tell yourself, or what advice would you give about the state you were in the year after when you start getting into the the DDD stuff? Like, what um, what would you tell yourself if you could? Talk to yourself then. I mean, I would, I would absolutely just tell myself like, "Hey, like, 
take a step back from it. Because the, the, the thing that makes it worse is worrying about it, the perpetual nature of that. One of the other things I looked up, one of the other videos I saw was a guy that was talking about it and he said what he recommends people do, especially with derealization de symptoms, is to just accept it and say, you know what, I'm fine. You know, like or people that were having, you know, DDD can, you know, on a on a more recurring things where like they could to the point where they recognized it on setting. Mm. Um They'd say like, oh, cool, the next couple weeks of my life are going to be fucked up. And it's like, just accept it. And you just like let it roll a little bit. Don't fight it so much. And then by by doing that, you are – by truly doing that, not just saying it, but you are decreasing the anxiety you have towards it. Thinking like, okay, well, this is just going to happen. I'm just going to deal with it. And I feel like I do that with my depression um, and it – doesn't work the same with depression, obviously, but it. I still feel like that helps. So, you know, I feel like, um, you know, at least by, by recognizing what you're going through is is what it is. Um, no, if anything, I would just be more reaffirming to myself, like you're you're dealing with this. These are real thoughts, but you, you know, though the, you're not going crazy thing. That that would be huge. Mm. The um, you know, this is. It's real what you're dealing with. Go see a doctor, maybe. Yeah. Go see a psychiatrist, something. Yeah, it probably you probably could have had uh like not that like going now you couldn't still work through some of those things, but going at a time where there there were these acute symptoms or reactions to things definitely could be more beneficial. Yeah. And I mean like I by the time that I, you know, had got gone through it and and was it was ending, um, you had asked me earlier this week, you know, did it, did it feel like it just it was gone? Was there like a period of waning? And like I really don't remember. I feel like it was just kind of gone. Like it might have been like a period where it just got less severe, but I don't remember it like that. I just remember all of a sudden realizing like, oh, I haven't had these thoughts in a little while. Do you attribute that to healing? Or just passage of time. Um, I mean, like healing in in big air quotes. Sure. In yeah. a way that I, you know, had either maybe I had come to accept it, or maybe I don't because right. I really don't remember. I you know maybe I had, um, you know, I don't really know what led to that because I like I said I didn't go talk to anybody about it. I never, I never, I definitely never spoke to anyone about it. Yeah, you um, told me about it for the first time, like. Early into this podcast, like a year yeah. ago or whatever, a year and a half ago. Yeah, I brought I it like, up, like, check out this crazy shit. And you were like, what the fuck are you talking about? Okay. <laughs> uh, not to throw any. Sam and you do this a bit. I've noticed with you quite a bit. You both are like uh, strong, but internal and kind of solemn. I de- I've you know what I haven't hung out with Sam all that much, but in the few times that I've definitely it. felt that he's he's like very quiet to himself, like probably yeah. deals with everything within his own head. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that vibe where like uh, I feel like you like you went through a whole Truman Show in your mind and didn't tell it to like your closest yeah. friend for five years. I, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't understand it either. I really, it's I don't wild. know. 
And I think there is definitely an element of like not trusting people. There was definitely an element of that. Yeah. But once again, it would go, it was like it would come and go. There would be like times where it was like, how can I possibly trust anyone? And then like almost immediately afterward, it was like, that's fucking retarded. That's that's so stupid. Yeah. I would get that with uh, like paranoid drug stuff. Yeah. that, That part turns on and off. Man. Yeah, it was it was so it was it was it's so hypocritical of me too because my my number one go to I tell people was like talk about it right and and yeah that was a whole time where like I just didn't what well, the part because like, that- usually I'm also and I think afterward for sure I became a lot more out out go out yeah the forthcoming with my with my life I don't. I've mentioned this in another older episode too, is like, I don't see any reason to like lie about shit or like hold shit back. Like I'm not, I'm not out here making moves, you know, like I don't don't need anyone to like not know what the fuck I'm up to. Yeah. I like talking about my life. That's how you meet people that are into the same shit as you. Yeah. So, you know, you are how you relate to people at a deeper level than just like cool ass weather we're having. It does make sense in a way, though, because what you're dealing with, you know, maybe the time it took to, like, let other people into, like, hey, this this is a window into this world, you know, I got stuck in for a little bit. I didn't stay here, but this is the weird place I was in for a while. Yeah, I'm definitely down talking about it now, for sure. Like, I'll tell anybody about this shit. But maybe that's the amount of time, like you needed to get to the place where that was okay because you were going at the time you were going through something very very intense Mm. and intimate like that's not a normal thing or an easy thing to to let people in on and and you have you'd be letting people in on how it truly that's the thing it's to tell someone like hey this is the a window into the real weird world i went you're telling them more than just what happened you're telling them how it deeply affected you in an and your mind in an intimate way right right and that that's an intimidating thing to to share with someone yeah not just the trauma but the reaction to right and i i realized the 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 part of like not trusting people it, it went to a way because it wasn't like I can't trust people. It was like I don't know who I can trust kind of thing. It was like um, – I'm trying to think of the best example. The best example I can think of was um, it's like let's say you're a spy mm-hmm. and you're infiltrating this building or whatever. 007. Yeah. But like you know, you're kind of like in plain sight like you're there in disguise or whatever and they're like giving you the tour of the facility or whatever. <laughs> and then you uh, – you know, you're a hitman and you stole yeah. a – you know, you stole a costume from somebody. And then it's like if I let them know that I know – that I'm suspicious of them. Yeah. You know, then then, know. then they'll change things so that mm. – you know, so that like they'll they'll change it up so like it it, it won't be as obvious. Like it'll still be going on, it just won't be as obvious. So in, in my head, like what I had close to relate to it with the Truman Show, and it was like, you know, when, you know, if he were to like say something like, oh, like you know, like telling his friend like this shit's going on, like then they back off. You know, they they try to like corral it and cool it down a little bit. Yeah, the guards change formation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Huh. All right, should I do um, 
visual symptoms? Yeah, let's keep talking about symptoms. Okay. Uh, tunnel vision, static, floaters. I get floaters a lot. I, I like floaters, and I like pressing my eyes and watching all the pretty colors. Yeah, man. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Distorted or blurry vision, altered distance, size of objects. Um, when you're anxious, it naturally makes your eyes more sensitive to detecting movements, that fast twitch reaction. It does this by widening of the pupils. It's really an old-school primal evolutionary trait used more often when our ancient ancestors had to deal with much more real and sudden danger of predators in, the, in their world, right? Yeah, Sp- yeah. Spotting that jaguar in the jungle real Damn quick. right, yeah. This is a snappy episode. I got, I got, my snap percentage is way higher than that <laughs> It's like, it's like, uh, like spoken word, baby. Their keen awareness is what kept them alive. That's why that trait persisted in our genetics. Oh, uh, I was going to say let's do a whole episode in spoken word, but that's a terrible, terrible oh idea. God, yeah. <laughs> so it's really it's funny, fucking though. deaf poetry jam over here. <laughs> Um, while experiencing anxiety symptom, your brain goes into a defense mode. Uh, it widens your pupils, and the, so you're like preparing for attacks from your peripherals. Um, and what that results in is you have too much visual information coming in at once, and your concentration is like going all over the place. It's overactive, trying to compensate for all this information coming in. Um, you're trying to catch up with with what you're seeing. Your anxiety makes you hyper aware of your own vision. It's you're noticing things that are part of normal human vision, but you're focusing and overanalyzing the minor details that we usually filter out. So, like the floaters and stuff like that, like you you can see them all the time. That's like a regular thing. You just kind of got you you know you can tune into that kind of thing. But like it's harder. To, you can't just do that. I guess maybe you can. I don't know. But like you filter it out because it's not essential. It's like you can always see your nose. Your nose is always in oh your vision, my God. but you just if, filter it out. If you want to fuck up a room full of stoners, just say that as you walk past their stupid little smoke circle, and then you <laughs> fuck everybody up for the rest of the night. Do you guys know you can always see your nose, and you'll watch? <gasps> <laughs> so I don't remember particularly having a lot of visual symptoms with the Truman Show incident. Mm-hmm. I... um. I feel like there there's probably a lot of like sensitivity to light, sensitivity to light, but I have a lot of that anyways. I get like migraines and like neck issues and stuff from from the kind of work I do, which pulls on the back of your you know neck or whatever, and that's connected to your you know eyes in a way. Eyeball muscles. Yeah, your eyeball muscles. The strings connect holding the balls in the back of your head. I I also would imagine the more intense visual aspects that's probably most prevalent in the super acute cases or when it's yeah like yeah peakingly intense because like you said earlier like the brain often and the heart stays at a normal pace those type of things like these more visual aspects i would imagine it is more when it's closer the anxiety levels are closer to anxiety attack uh, acute stress reaction or even ptsd i would imagine most of the time yeah it you know the visual symptoms are not very present right so tell me tell me uh what we got next here distorted perception of time (laughs) (laughs) it's so fucking weird (laughs) 
right, now this is one I struggle with for very different reasons, but the feeling that time goes by too fast, time lapses, gaps, or distorts. I, I have serious time problems, and I think mine is, is from brain damage. I very much... Oh, wow. Dude, I some of my overdoses, I went without oxygen for a long time, and I've had a couple head injury kind of things. Like, my brain has changed, and it's weird because... As I've uh, you smoothed out all the wrinkles in this, <laughs> dude, it's so squeaky clean, bro. Okay, <laughs> but like I, this this sounds weird. In the last five years, I've gotten so much smarter. I'm so smart. I'm like a genius now compared to my dummy self. And a lot of I feel like my brain's recovered in a lot of ways, but I've also noticed like more long term effects of some of the things that happened to my brain also. And time, I I struggle with it so much. Like it feels, we've we did a little bit of an episode about it. Like it just feels so abstract. So this part, I don't understand where I am in time. Sometimes, mm, yeah. I kind I get this part, and in an altered state like that, I can only imagine with like because for me it has nothing to do with anxiety. I I can only imagine with anxiety as being kind of that precursor. Mm-hmm. how fucking disorienting this would be yeah because I, I definitely had a lot of a lot of the time just bending. in a general sense of feeling like everything's going so fast Ugh, it's like suddenly it's may like i moved up here for you know five months ago that is it suddenly may dude that is like a, a an intense fear of dying i feel like when you feel like that when time's gone too fast and you get that strange feeling like yeah. you know, you're mourning time that has been lost and you're like pre-mourning your death. Yeah. It's like that time is gone. I've lost it and I am that much closer to not having any more time. I really feel like that's what it is. Yeah, whether it's like days, weeks, months, or like just even like moments. Yeah. Like sitting even sitting moments. somewhere for a while and realizing like, oh shit, it's been like 20 minutes. Like I lost it's like time. how the fuck did that happen? Yeah, I lost life. Yeah. I was I was in my mind world and I lost time of my life. <laughs> yeah. So here's what's actually happening. Anxiety is affecting your concentration. For example, when you're driving and get so many miles down the road and you realize you don't really remember the last several minutes of driving. Oh my god, dude. That is I get that all the fucking time. Yeah. Like it's how very the real. fuck did I get here? Yeah, I think a lot of people do, especially with driving to work in the morning. Mm-hmm. Like, people get that. Snap, snap, snap. Uh, <laughs> you weren't concentrating on the act of driving, probably planning your day or listening to this fucking cool podcast by a couple trash cats, and you suddenly realized, oh shit, how am I here already? It doesn't mean that time is missing, but it certainly feels that way. And time do- doesn't change because you developed an anxiety condition, but yeah. it does change your attention span and concentration to that time, right. which in turn bends time. <laughs> Dr. fucking Strange over here. <laughs> Dr. Stephen Strange. I'm pretty strange doctor, that's for sure. Is that actually Dr. Strange's first name is Stephen? I don't think so, but I would not know the answer to that question. I'm going to see how quickly Google can tell me. I um I the only that. comic books I had as a kid were um Spawn. That's the cool as cool as it gets though for the fucking art. was it was it 
Mike McFarlane or Todd? Todd McFarlane's the one that does uh, Bethesda, right? Uh, Bethesda. Yeah, I think Todd is the guy that does uh, fucking um, Skyrim and shit like that. What is Bethesda? Bethesda, um, Elder Scrolls games, uh, Fallout games. Oh my god! Yeah, loser. (laughs) (laughs) All right, yeah, I'm a nerd. Um, (laughs) Next, the next symptom we have is uh, memory loss. Mm -hmm. So this is uh, similar to the. Um, the fear of going insane thing, forgetting what you're doing or saying, feeling like you're constantly losing your train of thought in a sentence, can't remember the details of the previous day without really thinking about it really hard, uh, worrying about your short and long-term memory loss, and the fear of de- developing dementia. So think about like reading an article, finish- finishing a paragraph, and realizing like you don't remember what the fuck you just read and you have to reread it. Like That happens to me all the time when I read in general. If I'm just like quietly reading to myself, you read it, it just doesn't absorb. So the good news is with depersonalization, it doesn't cause any kind of memory loss or lead to further conditions of worsening memory loss uh, or you know dementia or Alzheimer's, any of that. Again, it's anxiety affecting your concentration and it makes it difficult to focus on the task at hand. So what it's not that you don't remember what you just read. It's just that you weren't really actually paying as much attention to it as you uh, thought that you were. Yeah. So stuck gazing inwards. Yeah. So like, even like you're, you know, in the middle of a sentence and like you have, you're in the middle of a conversation and think about thinking about something, but there's all these background processes that are going on, you know, still trying to figure out what this, you know, what the stress and this trauma and this anxiety is going on in your head that can lead you to just, not focus on it, you know, or like you're scanning and looking for threats subconsciously and you're, you know, might just forget what you're talking about. And yeah. That happens, uh, happens a lot. You know, it happens a lot normally to people. Like I feel, feel like there's a lot of people that, you know, feel like, oh, I'm getting old, you know, I have my short term memory. I just, you know, forget what I was doing a couple minutes ago or forget what I was, you know, thinking about or something like that. And it's like, it's just a very normal thing of, you know, concentration. It's different from your memory. It is, but it doesn't feel that way. It right, still exactly. It feels so am- amnesic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Emotional numbness. The feeling that you can't feel happy or sad, just feeling blank and numb, worried about losing the ability to feel emotion. This is a very common symptom, and there's nothing wrong with your emotions. In fact, worrying is emotion in and of itself, so these thoughts are somewhat like an unfounded fear. This is a part of the feeling like you're not real thing. Your brain is trying to protect you from trauma or grief, so it pulls back on your feelings, or at least diverts attention away from them. I definitely felt a lot of that. A lot of, like, it's just wake up and it's not it wasn't even like depression it was like it was different it was there wasn't even a sadness or like a i don't know it's just completely numb feelings and it would just come in phases of like a few hours or so at a time sometimes like ghost boy apathy yeah yeah <laughs> the third uh, the next one i have is a uh, blank mind feeling that your mind is completely empty you can't piece together a coherent thought or worrying that you lose your inner monologue. 
This is usually directed uh, directly caused by overchecking yourself. You keep running diagnostics and troubleshooting, looking for the issue that you know, you're dealing with, but you're actually just creating the issue more than yourself. Uh, you don't have time to have a typical inner monologue if you're constantly interrupting yourself and working yourself up. You're jumping to conclusions and fearing the worst, which again is, creates the cycle of anxiety that gets worse and worse. Um, and I, th- that was another thing that I had is like I was felt like I was constantly in my own head. Um, and I, I recognized it just differently. It wasn't so much that I didn't have an inner monologue. It was just that it consumed my thoughts when I was alone. Mm. Um, in a way that like I was, I wouldn't think about anything else. Or if I did, it would be like somehow in relation to, you know, everything's a stage and none of this is real. Yeah, I always call that that feeling for myself of blanking out is is kind of I always called it gray, getting grayed out. Your just mind is gray. That's it's not your brown out, your brown out state. Not the brown out, the gray out. But I would, for me, and I, a lot of people I think get this too. Is I experience that kind of level of blank mind on antidepressants, where oh. it, it you know lowers the peaks and it shallows the valleys, so you're more stable. And for me, it's really good if things are really fucked up. I know I can use it as a tool to give myself time to deal with shit. But I know during the time that I'm on them, I'm just grayed out and my mind's just blank as fuck. There's um, a lot of different uh, reports or studies of this have shown that a lot of people um, describe this symptom as feeling like their head was full of cotton. And it was a way that like partially numbing, but it also led into the the whole like feeling that you might be dead kind of thing. Um. That's a weird thing, isn't it? Yeah. I don't really know that one, but I know it's a thing and a condition in and of itself. Yeah. So that's actually part of the the next one we got here. Existential thoughts. Yeah. The general sense of existential dread, worrying that you may already be dead or in purgatory, concern that you're going crazy, that feeling that you are not real. So as we've discussed in in the especially in the existential episode the <laughs> the existential thoughts occur on their own it's not really a symptom by themselves but fueled by the anxiety and depersonalization they become a very very vicious encounter the experience of depersonalization is so bizarre and overwhelming that your rational brain is constantly searching for an explanation um, you know, it's like these significant feelings and sensation must stem from some significant event. So am I dead or am I in a coma or stuck in a dream or something? Like certainly they couldn't just be coming from like a bad panic attack or a traumatic event that happened, you know, days, weeks, months or years ago, you know, but that's that's exactly how the depersonalization is exacerbated. When your brain doesn't recognize the threat and it goes into maximum security mode and our brains are kind of wired to want the big story or the big explanation. So it has the tendency to jump to these really scary conclusions and it's actually – that's a term. It's called uh, catastrophizing. Yeah. And just how our brains are so designed – for pattern recognition, yeah. seeing the jaguar, seeing seeing the shine of water in a distance, seeing the the face on the moon, our brains are made 
for detecting pattern. I also feel very strongly our our brains are very narrative driven, right? Yeah, absolutely. Our life is, the story of our life is just the story we've told ourselves. And I think that story is often fleshed out, shaped, sculpted, as you said earlier, with our internal monologue. It is like the God voice of our consciousness. We're telling ourselves, we're narrating our story, we're we're building the narrative, the story of what we're going through. Right. So when you have this perfect storm of lack of attention, darting focus, and rapid thoughts, the sense of a disturbed reality, and your own worries about figuring out what's wrong, it's only natural for your brain to consider the worst. And this this builds into this this narrative we're telling ourselves. Right. Get lost in it. And then for our last symptom, we build these strange fears. Yeah. Now, this one's kind of weird. So, developing sudden fears of otherwise mundane things like looking at the sky, driving a car, mirrors, supermarkets, and crowded places, just to name a few of the most common ones. What's even wilder is that you are able to recognize the absurdity of the fear. You know that it doesn't make sense, which somehow makes it all that much scarier. So I used to have the the existential thoughts, and I would think to myself things like, "Of course that's real," you know, the, or "Of course it's not real. That's crazy," you know. And then I would I would catch myself like, "But then why do I feel?" this way why am i having all of these thoughts like that I, I wouldn't be and that was part of like why did i feel like i was crazy because there is also part of me that was fighting that like i'm not stupid i'm a rational minded person like i can i can look at things and i feel like i have a good sense of judgment on you know deciding you know finding the reality of of a situation who who you are and what your story is yeah so for me, the fear felt more of a uh, the people are watching me and the constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop thing, like just waiting for the rug to get pulled out from underneath me. Uh, I often felt like I was right around the corner from a huge revelation of like the like like I said, the things are going too well, something's going to ruin it. And then when in reality, outside of my own head, I was just having a really dope year. <laughs> And it was just after this big substantial traumatic event, but I was just having a really good year. And then like I that's why you said earlier when you said earlier the the guilt part of it. And like that was definitely a real feeling for me. So I feel like that definitely had a, a play in it. Um yeah. which is so wild. It's, um in different ways it's affected me a lot too. I feel like it's just something that comes with those really hard to handle events like that. Yeah. So I feel like so much of the, especially with the fear thing, like it's just the anxiety, anxiety you're in, you're in your fight or flight mode and your brain is, it doesn't know what the fuck's going on. So it's trying to find the source of stress and fear and it's just assigning blame to shit. So it's picking anything it can get a focus on and laying it open, picking it apart and trying to make the pieces fit. Um, and I, I thought of it this way. It's like trying to solve a puzzle or a mystery when you are, when you think that you already know the solution to it, your investigation is biased and you're trying to reach the end goal that doesn't actually necessarily exist. 
So you focus on all the wrong details and pour energy and attention into the wrong path of a solution. So like your brain's telling you like you can't go out in public because the 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 supermarkets, you know, like in my situation would be, you know, like that's that's where, you know, they can see me kind of thing. And it was like a I never really had that kind of stuff. I didn't really get much of the the like a weird fear like of that. That was like specific in that way, but mm-hmm. it's it's that part that you're telling yourself like, well, this is this is part of the problem. It's going here. Your brain's telling you this is a problem. So then you're working in around it, trying to think like, okay, well, if that's the problem, how do I solve it? You know, like how do I work around it? To but you're focusing on like this isn't the problem, and you're sitting here investing all this energy into it. And again, just making it worse because you're getting more upset because in the, there's no solution there. So it's yeah. just again, it just feeds into it and makes it worse. You, your your internal voice starts leading you down the wrong path. Yeah, I I, I think like I know it's huge. I, I've definitely gone through it, but like you know, people who don't want to go to the grocery store, right? Yeah. Like there's too many people, the anxiety, the busyness of it. To me, I think like a simple version of what that narrative might really be like is especially in a scenario like this where you're in this, you know, altered state where things aren't right. You have this anxiety fight or flight mode. It's almost like you don't want to go to a place where a bunch of people are going to be able to see you for who you are and that you are suffering. Mm -hmm. Like they're not getting like, uh, a super interpersonal look at you, but you have to be on the stage, right? You have to be in this, in the public arena where people can see you and they can see that you're suffering. And I, yeah. I see that, you know, friends, people I'm close to, people past, whatever, like that were afraid or just very consumed by anxiety or needed to be on the all the fucking benzos to even go to the grocery store. I, I think a huge part of that is you're afraid to have people see you the way you are kind of thing. Yeah. Which it's, it's sad. It fucking sucks. Yeah. I I know. I I definitely feel that going to the grocery store sometimes. I definitely get anxiety from being in a busy grocery store, but I don't think that's the reason Mm -hmm. in my particular case. I get it when, when there's too many people and you know, have you ever been standing in a grocery store and like, you might be looking at something or reading something and there's like, people trying to get past you and like you just constantly feel like you're in the way like that gives me anxiety really bad and usually i can take it for a minute if i just need to grab a couple things but if i'm like just trying to have a you know fucking you know stroll through the store and pick up your groceries and shit whatever it it just makes me super anxious and the i've they've been really mild panic attacks compared to what i know that they can be Mm. um but i've definitely had anxiety or panic attacks because of that exact situation where I go in and I just feel like I can't I can't find a place to just be for a minute. I'm always in the way. I move out of one person's way and now I'm in someone else's way. And like I I think that probably stems from other shit, I'm sure, but like that's the thing that's going yeah. through my head is just like I'm I'm in the way. You know There's a lot there with that one. Dude, I would Yeah, there's love a lot to, to unpack on that I one. I would love to explore that more. <laughs> I I used to have severe anxiety with everything and yeah. and but depression was always the main thing 
I, depression, I, I was going to bring this up earlier. I feel like some mental health things are conquerable disorders and others aren't. Do you get what I mean by that? Yeah, kind of? yeah. I feel like depression is one you can never, it's non-conquerable, but you can be winning the battle. Yeah, you can you can combat it. Yes. But yeah, it's definitely. I feel like anxiety for me, and I know part of it is just my experience with it, but from my experience and people that I've been close to that experience it, I really do believe anxiety is a conquerable disorder. Not, not and that yeah, I, I can see that. And I don't believe at all like that makes it any less is like heavy or, or important or whatever as anything else like de- a depression. But I do think it is something you can master in a way it, more so than some other things. Yeah, and. And for myself, I know I definitely had that constant overwhelming anxiety. And I still do sometimes, but I really have like figured that one out. That's, that's what I was going to say. When you when you sit with it for something long enough like that, you you begin to understand it. And you understand yeah. how – like you said, how you can react to it and how it's a – how it affects you. Like you, you can combat it in a way that is preventative. You yeah, know, depression is like you can somewhat be preventative about it, but it's gonna it's gonna come for you eventually. I think. Yeah, people and that I, people that know de- depression know that like, like like you said, like you can win, you can be winning the battle overall, and like you can be combating it in a, in a very <laughs> strong way. Yeah, but you're not gonna win the war. You win the war when you die. That's yeah. you know, it's I, it's gonna keep coming back. I feel like you can win it with anxiety, but I know someone out there listening is probably like has a severe anxiety disorder yeah. and they would very much disagree. Mm. So it could be just our experience, but I it, I just think there's easier odds on being able to control anxiety. It also yeah. it can get worse. I don't know. I don't know where I was going to that, but I I just I know I'd like the grocery store and stuff. I'm sure part of it is like that not wanting people to see who I am or whatever, but I have like really got rid of it and I may have replaced it with negative things, but I, I am just in fight mode. There's no flight mode at the grocery store. I just, I'm ready to battle. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. I yeah. definitely feel that too. I just, I just recognize. So I said, that's a lot to unpack. And I, and I was thinking about it for a second. I think a lot of it's got to do with a lack of control in that situation. Like I can control what I'm doing, but if I'm constantly, Having to, like, to constantly feel like I'm in people's way, then I'm like, they're in your I'm, way, motherfucker. Well, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> that's I, exactly. You, you gotta that switch too. It. That that still doesn't really help because I've definitely felt that where like I just need to do this and every you know I can't do the things that I need to do because there are so many fucking people in here. Yeah. But I feel like most of the time in my life, I do feel a very good control of everything around me, on the, you know the situation around me, so that when I'm put in that situation. It can be overwhelming. You're they're in your way, and you're letting them shop. Yeah, <laughs> stupid fucking I'm people. I'm letting You'll, you shop at the Kroger today. <laughs> you're gonna let them buy food. They, you know, it might be a minor disturbance for you, but I'll let you buy your food because I'm I'm the king of this grocery store, buddy. Just I, now, I want to stop people in the grocery store, like like literally grab their cart, like halt. And just look at their cart, kind of look everything up, kind of eye them up and down, ocular pat down. Like, (laughs) all right, continue. 
Yep. I'll let and you know the, this Yeah, time. let him go. <laughs> <laughs> you, you look at someone who's not there and he's like, he's good. <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, I think that's good enough for today. Yeah, I was going to say we do have this quiz, but I think we're doing a freestyle next week. I've, I say we fuck around with it. Yeah, we can, fun we can look that. at that. Yeah, it's on uh, dissociative cognition levels, whatever. Yeah. It can be fun. You got any dishonors or advice or anything? I got I got to think about that for a moment, but I I, I enjoyed this. I and I I really do, you know, both privately and public. I appreciate you sharing, being willing to to share some of that stuff, man. Hell yeah! I you know when we first started doing this, I didn't really want to get into details about my grandparents too much. One because yeah. you know um, it is a it is a huge bummer, but also because you know my my parents listen to the show and it's not always as much fun to bring it up. We don't really talk about it that often. Because, you know, it sucks. So, yeah, know, yeah. one of but those it, kind of things. It's, but it's know, nice talk- to share it. It's nice to talk about it. Yeah, we were talking about that, you know, yesterday before recording. Sometimes sometimes it's sad to not be able to, even if it things ended in a bad way, to not be able to, like, share a person's memory with other people, you know? And, and I know, like, this wasn't in in the positive aspects, but it's all a part of, of just fucking life, you know, and being able to, to let go of guilt or share it or, you know, all those things. I don't know. I, I think it's really important though. And especially hard shit like that. It's, I feel like, uh, in my own family or whatever, Sometimes it, you know, we might not talk about those type of things a right. lot, and it's not about avoidance, but it's like you said, it's just kind of a bummer sometimes. And I think having the excuse of whether it's a podcast or whatever, a reason for it to be talked about with with family or close people is yep. almost always a good thing. Yep, always down to fucking. Spill my guts and talk about shit. I didn't like I said. I didn't want to do it on the podcast because it was a bummer. But I, I don't, you know, and I don't plan on bringing it up too much more. But sure. uh, but no, it's it's absolutely it's really good to get that shit out. And I like I like when people when I meet people and and we have that you know back and forth where like they kind of start going off on something and it's like I'm sorry for like spilling. And it's like no, no, <laughs> go for it. Like they'll get it out. Get Ain't that fucking doing any good inside of you. Fucking talk about it. Yeah, gotta puke the vial out. Goddamn right. <laughs> uh, I feel like, I feel like we did good. Yeah. I enjoyed learning about this with you. I'm excited for what we're doing next. And uh, I don't know the, you know when I look back at you know starting this with you, I think it was one of the better decisions we've made. You know, like this isn't. You know, anybody listening, it's not not that many people, but it's slowly grown. And for people to want to listen to us talk about dumb bullshit, weird, cool stuff, or just our own personal narrative, the God voice (laughs) inside of us, be willing to to listen to our our shit for a couple hours every week is is really cool. And it's really encouraging and uh, validating that it's grown at all. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it's very cool to see that, like, hey, 
we have people that listen to this that we don't know who the fuck they are. That's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Number 69 on uh, the arch charts of good pods. Yeah, that's the one. We can't we can't make we can't do any better. We have to like keep it leveling it so we just stay at 69. Right. Exactly. Oh my god, that's that's really funny. So, uh, yeah, thanks again for listening everybody. Seriously. Um, yeah. thank you to Approaching Human for the use of his music. You can find his work on SoundCloud at approaching-human. Yep, waiting to see uh, this record label he's putting together. Very oh, exciting stuff. Oh, shit, dog. And he's making sample pa- music sample packs and stuff. But uh, th- yeah, this music label is going to be dope as fuck because it's going to be all kinds of other weird musicians he collabs with that do weird shit like he does. So that'd be very cool. Got a young white Dre walking in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Make sure to check out the show page at Trash Cats Trash Cast on Instagram for news and art from the show. Check out Facebook for the memes. For the memes. Steven's should... always doing good work over there. <laughs> the meme factory is, yeah. is strong. <laughs> we, we, there's a union, but we're, we're killing it over there. <laughs> yeah, uh, if you're super bored, you can check out my trash yard on Instagram at Skyzix, S-K-Y-Z-I-C-X. Uh, the piece I'm currently working on, I'm very excited about. We'll have that Ooh, up by okay. the time this drops. Um, I think I have some other cool art news, but nothing's coming to mind but got some cool stuff coming up i think that's it uh fuck who who can we dishonor on the way out oh fuck putin he fucks horses oh yeah fuck putin he fucks horses yeah that's true and he bombed a maternity ward today yeah i saw that the horses is pretty bad too yeah the horses (laughs) the horses is like uh is it equal uh who's to say those horses were innocent those horses didn't consent horse can't give consent Well, that's going to be it. (laughs) Uh, Tune in next weekend or next Wednesday for a uh, freestyle episode. And that's going to be all for us today. Stay classy, eat trashy. Go fast, eat trashy. (laughs) 